We are in Matthew chapter 24. This quarter we're looking at uh, teachings about the end times. Thinking through not only what, uh, what some of the ideas in our culture are, but also what the Bible says about those things and about others. And we started last week talking about this idea that is present uh, in some teachings that there will be signs before the end times. Uh, there will be things pointing to the end is uh, getting ready to take place. And so we've been looking uh, the last part of last week's class at that. And specifically, we were in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Looking at Matthew chapter 24 which is one of the primary passages that people point to in thinking about signs before the end. And Jesus talks there about, you'll hear about wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines, earthquakes. Uh, there'll be false messiahs. But we noted that Jesus starts off that passage by saying, do not be deceived. You're going to hear about these things. And so what Jesus says at the very beginning of this passage is these are not signs. These are not signs for any of the things that he's talking about. So don't be fooled by these things. And we talked about how uh, there have always been wars and rumors of wars this side of Eden. Right? There have always been people claiming to have a message from God. Yes, it might seem like in our time that there are more of these things taking place, but there's no indication even in Scripture that, that Jesus says that there are going to be more of these before the end. Additionally, one of the things that we talked about uh, briefly last week has to do with the larger context of Matthew chapter 24. And we didn't get into this as much uh, last week, so I want to kind of finish uh, looking at this. The larger question of Matthew 24 has to do with what is he talking about? Is Jesus talking about the end times? We talked, of course, about that these aren't the signs. But Jesus says, here is the sign of what I'm talking about. And he says that in verse 15 of Matthew 25. So when you see, right, don't believe these other signs. They're misleading signs, but when you see something about to take place, and he talks about this desolating sacrilege, right, or the abomination of desolation, your translation might have. And he's talking about something that Daniel prophesied about, in Daniel chapter 9. And from Luke's gospel, we can see that, that Jesus gives them a little bit clearer picture. Luke chapter 21, verse 20, he says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Right, what's the sign, Jesus, that these things are going to take place? You're going to see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And then when you see that, what are you supposed to do? Well, he says there in verse 16 of Matthew 24, when you see the sign, you need to flee. You need to pray that it's not going to be a winner. Pray that it's not going to be on the Sabbath. It's going to be terrible for those that are nursing or have small children at the time. If it's the end of the world, what's Jesus talking about? 
What does it matter if the end of the world is in winter? No, instead he's talking about something, something else. And notice also, we didn't get to this last week, but notice also what Jesus says in verse 34. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And so Jesus says these things that he's talking about are going to take place during the time of the people he is talking to. What things is he talking about? Well, back up to verse, 20, uh, verse 2 of chapter 24. Truly I tell you, not one stone will let be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. What stones? Right? Verse 1. The temple. And so Jesus says, Jesus is answering a question about when will the temple be destroyed. And he gives them a list of signs to not be deceived by gives them a list or gives them a sign to pay attention to and when you see this flee doesn't make sense if it means the end of the world but if the temple is about to be destroyed it makes sense right? when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies you know the temple is getting ready to be destroyed so run flee it's going to be terrible for those that are nursing at this time. Pray that it's not during winter. Pray that it's not during the Sabbath. Why? Because you have to run. You have to get out. And this generation is not going to pass away. It's not going to cease to exist until all these things take place. So Matthew 24 is talking, this first part, is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus is not talking about the end of the world, but for the Jew, would it have been like the, end, the world was ending? Absolutely. I mean, you read some of the things that took place during the siege of Jerusalem. Right? Dead bodies piling up, people eating their own children to survive. Terrible, terrible things happen. And then, of course, the Roman armies finally break through the siege, destroy the temple, carry off the gold and other things to Rome, and captives. And we even talked about um, verse 29. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. This end of the world language is not end of the world language. We looked at the prophecy from Joel chapter 2. Right? Joel uses the same kind of things. The sun's going to be turned to darkness, the moon's going to be turned to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. But Peter in Acts 2 said, Pentecost, today's that day. No, 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 Peter, this is end of the world language. How can what Joel talks about, the sun turn to darkness, the moon turn to blood, be Pentecost? Because it doesn't mean the end of the world. It means major change. Something is shaking up the world powers. The Spirit coming on Pentecost, the gospel being preached? Did that shake up the world powers? 
Absolutely. Destruction of Jerusalem? Destruction of the temple? Did that shake up the world? Absolutely. So this language of sun being turned to darkness, moon being turned to blood, while it sounds like the end of time, it usually doesn't mean the end of time. It means something big is happening. So up through verse 35, everything that Jesus has been talking about is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. However, when we get to verse 36, Jesus changes. Right? Verse 34, all these things will take place before this generation passes away. So everything prior to verse 34 referred back then. But of that day, what day? Back in, chat, in verse 3, the disciples ask, when will this be, destruction of the temple, what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? Jesus is answering a different question here beginning in verse 36. But of that day, what about that day? No one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So he's been telling them, watch out for these things, for the destruction of Jerusalem, but there's another day. What's that day going to be like? It's going to be like the days of Noah. Right? Verse 37. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking. This is verse 38. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Although Noah was preparing his ark, there weren't any signs until that rain started to fall. Everything was going on as normal, and then all of a sudden, the rain started coming down. That's what it's going to be like when the Son of Man returns. Things are going to be going on as normal, and then the Son of Man will return. It will be like a thief in the night. Right? Perhaps the... Uh, the most famous phrase we think of with the end of time. Verse 43, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the knife the thief was coming, he would have stayed away and would not have let his house be broken into. Why does Jesus use the language of a thief in the night? It comes without warning. The thief doesn't call you up and say, when the moon is full, when your mailbox is open, that's when I'm striking. The thief doesn't give signs. If the thief gave people signs, they'd be sitting there ready. 
with their friend Mr. Smith and their friend Mr. Wesson. That's not a comment on gun control one way or the other. But you'd be ready. If the thief told you, right, I'm coming on July 24th, where would you be on July 24th? I'd be there in my house. The police be ready. I'd be waiting. So thieves don't do that. There are no signs when a thief comes. And so Jesus tells them, there's not going to be any signs. It's going to be like a returning master. And so the end part of 24, and then moving into chapter 25, Jesus tells a succession of parables about the end of time. And he says, uh, Who then is the faithful and wise slave who his master put in charge of his household to give the other slaves their allotment of food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly, I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked slave says to himself, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards, so the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know. He will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's his point? His point in this parable and each of the parables after is watch, pay attention, keep awake. You do not know the day or the hour. If you knew the day or the hour, you'd be prepared. Well, guess what, disciples of Jesus? Be prepared all the time. There will be no signs before our Lord returns. And so we should always be ready. So we can't look at the, at the front page of the newspaper, right, or the newspaper's website, let's be honest, and say, oh, look at all these terrible things happening. The end must be close. The end is always close. So we need to be careful we don't fall into this trap of there's going to be signs before the end. Yeah, the, so this kind of gets us a little bit into the, the next topic, that of the rapture. But beginning in verse 40, Jesus says, uh, talking about this day, the day, the coming of the Son of Man, two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep, the, keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Notice the difference between this and the previous discussion. In the previous discussion, Jesus says, when you see the sign... Right? Jerusalem sounded by armies. Run. Flee. Don't even go back into your house for a coat. Get out of there. This day, though, there isn't even time for that. Right? One's grabbed, one's left. It's not talking about a rapture, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But he's talking about the suddenness of the coming. Right? This event will happen suddenly. The destruction of Jerusalem, you'll have time to get out. Right? You'll see the armies coming, you know the armies coming, get out. But of that day, the coming of the Son of Man, you won't have time. One will be taken, one will be left. So it's the suddenness of what's going to take place, not like what is previous where you have this, there's this delay so you have the chance to 
escape what's coming. 40, chapter, uh, verse 40, you don't have the chance to escape what's coming. And history tells us, an early uh, Christian historian named Eusebius tells us Christians did that. They saw the signs coming, they got out. A lot of them escaped Jerusalem and went to a city called Pella. And they escaped a lot of the destruction that Jerusalem underwent. Why? Because they knew what Jesus had said. And they were waiting. They were paying attention to the signs. And so the warning in here for us is to watch. Not because there will be signs, but because there will be no signs. Right? This is where, of course, Jesus gets into the parable of the bridesmaids. Always have enough oil for your lamp. Because you don't know when the master's coming. All right? It's going to be like ten, uh, five wise and five foolish bridesmaids. It's going to be like a master who divvies out talents to his slaves. And he's going to come and he's going to make an accounting. It's going to be, he calls the sheep and the goats before him and divides them. So be prepared. There will be no signs. Questions? Comments? Cries of disbelief. Let's move on in, uh, then to uh, another topic, somewhat connected. Uh, this is the idea of what's sometimes referred to as the rapture, and closely connected with that is a period of time known as the tribulation. Now, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we started talking about this, there are a lot of different theories when it's connected with these ideas. Some people are pre-trib, and that means they believe the rapture will take place, and then the tribulation will take place. Some people are mid-trib. The tribulation will start midway through, the rapture will take place. Some are post-trib. Tribulation will take place, and then the rapture will happen. What does that all mean? Well... Base, let me just talk uh, about the basic concepts. The rapture, the idea behind rapture. The word rapture means to kind of, uh, at least the way this is used, is to take away or snatch. Right? Rapture can also mean experiencing an enormous amount of bliss. Right? Um, and so we, uh, there's a song that talks about the rapture we feel. Right? Um, and so we're not talking about this idea of, of uh, bliss, of this emotional experience, but a belief that Jesus at some point will return and seize or snatch all of the living Christians away from the earth. And so you'll see uh, scenes in, in movies that talk about this where you know somebody will come into... Um, a room and, and there's just some clothes. Uh, or a, a car will start swerving out of control because there's nobody driving it anymore. Uh, it'll even be, you know, depending on the, the movie or the book, it might even be uh, a baby is suddenly you know, gone from their mother's womb. And so there'll be this suddenness and suddenly people will disappear. 
And so the idea is that there will be this time where there will be this rapture, this seizing or snatching. For most people that believe in this, the idea is that the rapture will take place for all living Christians at that time, all the Christians that are living, as well as deceased Christians will all suddenly be taken bodily into heaven. Now this, in most views, only refers to Christians. The Old Testament dead who died in the Lord, usually they are talked about as something happening later with them. Right? So it's only Christians that are believed to experience this rapture. Now, there are a couple of passages that are pointed to as teaching the rapture. It's important to note that the term rapture is not used in the New Testament. Right? Nowhere is that term used. But that in itself doesn't mean anything because the word trinity isn't used. Uh, there are other words that we sometimes use, uh, theological language that aren't in Scripture. So just because the word isn't there does not mean one thing or the other. But people that uh, support the rapture idea believe there are two passages, well, three, we looked at Matthew 24. There are two other passages they believe teaches the rapture. One is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. And the other is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 50. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from the ESV. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So there are a couple things from this passage that are pointed to to connect it with this teaching. You have living Christians, right? we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, right? and dead Christians, right? those in the Lord that have fallen asleep. There is also, in that last sentence, those that are alive will be caught up with those that are dead and will ever be with the Lord. And so it's pointed to as, look, in this passage, the only people talked about are living and dead Christians who are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We'll come back to that. Let's look at... 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body 
must put on immortality. And so the idea here, of course, is this, uh, we're not all going to die. We're going to be changed in a moment, right? quickly, twinkling of an eye. Right? And so there'll be this moment where suddenly we're changed to be with the Lord. Now, I'll repeat it again because it bears repeating. Three most important rules in Bible study are context, context, context. It is especially true of these passages as it is true of every passage in Scripture. What is the context? What is Paul addressing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Paul is addressing what happened to those dead believers. Apparently those at Thessalonica were concerned. Maybe, as some have suggested, they even believed that the Lord was going to be returning soon, but then people, Christians, start dying. Well, what's going on here? Right? And, and you can see how that could kind of cause some concern. Right? We live 2,000 years after them, but, but put yourselves in their shoes for a minute. Right? You believe Jesus is the Messiah. You believe He's coming back. You've trusted in Him. You don't have the wisdom of 2,000 years of saying, oh, it's going to be a long time before he comes back. You think he's coming back soon. But then your friend in the Lord dies, and then your mother in the Lord dies, and some apostles start dying. I wonder what's going on. And so Paul writes to tell them what's going on, to comfort them. What happened to those dead believers in Christ? Paul says, don't be upset about this. I don't want you to grieve as those that have no hope. He's essentially telling them, Christ is going to take care of them. And don't think they're going to be saved without us or we're going to be saved without them. So Christ is going to take care of those of us who are alive and those of us that have passed on. He is not talking about anything else than those believers. He's talking about living and dead Christians. He doesn't mention what's happening to the rest of the dead because he's not concerned in this passage to talk about what happens to the rest of the dead. So we can't assume that just because he doesn't talk about dead non-believers, the Old Testament dead, that somehow this doesn't apply to them. No, he is only talking and trying to encourage Christians about their fellow Christians who have died. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about What's going to happen to our bodies? The question he's answering is, what happens to our bodies at the end of time? What's he say? They're going to be changed. Again, that's all he's addressing. We can't, in the bodies we have now, get into heaven. 
Now the bodies we have now will be continuous with the bodies we'll have then. Right? He's going to raise our bodies, but our bodies are going to be changed. And so the only thing Paul is talking about is both the living and the dead will have their bodies changed. He's not particularly talking about Old Testament dead and what's going to happen with that. He's just saying our bodies are going to be changed. He's not teaching a rapture in this passage. Uh, he's not teaching anything about non-Christians. He's teaching about our bodies are going to be different when the Lord returns. But when is that going to be? Paul says it's going to be at the last trumpet. But if we take this rapture idea and we accept that and then there is a tribulation and then there is a thousand year reign of Christ on earth then this is going to happen a thousand and seven years before the last trumpet. Paul says, no, it's happening at the last trumpet. When it, it's done. This is when it's happening. But the rapture doctrine says, no, 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 it's not going to. The last trumpet is going to be a thousand and seven years after this takes place. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, last trumpet. He means the end. But what this suggests is a question related to the resurrection. Particularly that this theory of the rapture suggests that there are several resurrections. There will be, at the rapture, the resurrection of all living and dead Christians. That will take place at the rapture. At the beginning of the thousand-year reign, which we'll talk about, Lord willing, in a couple weeks, all of the Old Testament dead will be raised, be ushered into the thousand-year reign. And then at the end of the thousand-year reign, all of the other dead will be resurrected. That's three resurrections if you're keeping count at home. Is that what Scripture teaches? Will there be three resurrections. Well, let's look at a couple of passages and then passages and again these are just a couple of passages that teach about the resurrection. One of them is John chapter 5 verses 28 and 29. There Jesus says, "Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says that the hour is coming. 
not the hours are coming, not the days, not the years, not the millennia. The hour is coming. The hour is coming when what, Jesus? When both the good and the evil will be raised. All that are in the tombs will come out. Those that will go to the resurrection of life, those that will go to the resurrection of death. Jesus teaches there'll be one resurrection. And the people included in that resurrection are the good and the bad. Who's left out of the resurrection of the good and resurrection of the bad? Seems to me that you're either one or the other. But both of those will take place at the same time. Not at three different times. Another passage on this is Acts chapter 24 and verse 15. Paul there is um, defending himself uh, before Felix. And not that he's necessarily teaching, his focus isn't the resurrection. His focus is defending himself against the Jews. But in the context of this, he says, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. What's Paul saying? Well, first of all, he's saying, right, these Jews believe the same thing I do, so we shouldn't be here. But what do they believe? They believe that there will be one resurrection. Who's going to be in that resurrection? The just and the unjust. Who's left out? Right, you're either one or the other. So it's, if you're just or unjust, there will be one resurrection. Additionally, and we don't have the time to go through all of these passages, but Jesus talks throughout the Gospel of John about the last day. Not the last days, not the last day and then a thousand and seven years, another last day. There is one last day. And that's when all of the dead will experience the resurrection. So while the, rap, the rapture doctrine teaches three different resurrections separated by years, Jesus, Paul, teach there will be one resurrection. Both the good and the bad will experience that resurrection and it will all take place at the same time. Not separated by years or centuries. Questions about the rapture. Patrick. Yeah, and again, the... Uh, Patrick's talking about the passage from Matthew chapter 24. Right? The, the one will be taken, the one will be left, and people talk about those that will be left behind in the rapture. Well, again, that's not what Jesus is saying. 
He's talking about the suddenness of what's taking place. And so the one taken, one left isn't talking about a rapture. One will be taken to life. One will be left for death. Right? Uh, and so we have to understand that passage within the context of all these other passages that teach that there's just one resurrection uh, that happens for everyone at the same time. Other questions, comments? Yes, Phil. Yeah, Phil brings up uh, the parable of the, uh, the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares, and the disruption that uh, the uh, owner of the field says, you know, leave them alone, let them grow up together. But it's passages like that, as well as the parable of the dragnet, that say the good and the bad are going to be all swept up, and at the end of time, you know, the good are going to be taken, right? put in the barns if they're wheat, or the fish are going to be taken, and the bad ones are going to be thrown out. It's all going to happen at the same time. Other questions or comments? Kind of connected with that, we'll just touch on this as uh, we don't really have time to go to it too much, is this notion deeply connected with the rapture that there will be a period of great persecution or great tribulation in the end time. Again, a lot of this depends on a particular teacher's theory about when the rapture takes place. Will the rapture take place first and then there will be a great period of tribulation? Uh, will there be a great period of tribulation and the rapture will take place? You say, okay, if all the world's Christians are taken at the beginning, who's getting persecuted? Right? Who's experiencing the tribulation? In some theories of this, the idea is that once the world's Christians are raptured, again, we've already determined that's not what Scripture teaches, but let's roll with the theory for a little bit. When all the world's Christians are taken, suddenly gone, that will convince a lot of people that the Christians were right. The other thing, too, is that it will convince a lot of lukewarm followers that they should have uh, been following Christ. And so in a lot of these fictionalized versions, you'll have, uh, for example, in the, uh, the Left Behind series, there's a preacher who was just kind of putting on a show, and then the rapture happens and kind of wakes him up, and so he starts preaching. Uh, and so the idea is this, will, this rapture event will convince a lot of people of the truth of Christianity. And it's those converts after the rapture who will be persecuted. But we've already seen that Scripture doesn't teach a rapture. So the rapture and the tribulation kind of rise or fall together. But there's still some things we'll talk about, Lord willing, next week, 
and we'll get into the tribulation a little bit more and talk about what, what are some of the ideas behind that. So we'll pick that up, Lord willing, next week.